You've tuned into the Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to the Dr. Lowe Show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dr. Lowe Show. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. And if I sound a little more cheery than usual, it's because I'm recording this from the Bahamas. I'm here on my baby moon. My boyfriend and I are here just having our last little getaway vacation before our little one arrives in a few weeks. Actually, like three months. I don't want to make it sound like it's sooner because we have so much to get figured out before the baby comes, but just needed this time to kind of recharge. But I didn't want to skip this week for an episode because I had a chance to chat with Dr. Bob Sears a couple days ago, and it was such an incredible um, episode. So I wanted to share it with you guys this week. Before I do that, I wanted to give some love to our show sponsor, Organifi. I especially want to give love to Organifi for this trip that I'm on. So I am using their probiotics every single day while I'm here, and so is my boyfriend, so we don't get sick on the road. Um, One of the things I love about the Organifi probiotics in particular, it has a really high blend of different microorganisms. So a lot of times probiotics will say that they have a certain amount of bacteria and they actually don't. And also a lot of times you're just, you know, you just basically have expensive poop because you're just pooping it out and it's not getting absorbed. Their products work really, really well. I've had really good results with my patients who use them. And one bacteria in particular that is in this formula is called lactobacillus rhamnosus, which is a type of probiotic that helps especially with weight loss. So did you know that your gut bacteria can actually burn calories for you? Even if you eat the same food as compared to someone else who has different gut bacteria. So if you have the right kind of gut bacteria, you actually burn more calories from the same kinds of meals and it can really help with sugar cravings. It can help with obesity. So helping, especially with insulin resistance, which what does that mean exactly? It means that you get the energy out of your food better. So when you have insulin resistance, you're not able to bring the glucose into your cells to use it for energy. So a lot of times a clue of insulin resistance would be if you get tired after you eat a meal, that's a clue you're not getting the energy from your food. So different nutrients in particular can help you to improve insulin sensitivity, like zinc, for example, chromium. These are different minerals we know that can do that. And also certain probiotics like this one in particular can help do that. So if you are someone who is wanting to shed some pounds, if you have sugar cravings, um, if you have other things like Um, you know, digestive symptoms. This particular bacteria has been shown to reduce the risk of antibiotic associated uh, diarrhea. So basically if you are having to take antibiotics and you take this probiotic as well in between doses. So I always recommend like, let's say you take antibiotics morning and night, you can take this like at lunchtime, it'll help prevent diarrhea associated with the antibiotics. So it just really gives you that protection. It also can help prevent ulcers IBS, and it's also good for dental health. So a lot of benefits of taking a probiotic, and I really love this formula. So I'm a big fan, as you can tell. So to get your probiotics or any other of the Organifi products like the green juice or the Organifi Gold, which is their turmeric and reishi um, nighttime hot drink, it's amazing. Um, They also have the Organifi Red, which is more of like a kind of a fruit superfoods powder They're all amazing products, and they have really done their research to get the best quality ingredients. So I'm a big fan. I fully approve them. So you can head over to Organifi.com. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And at checkout, enter Dr. Lowe. Get yourself a fat 30% discount on your order. And that's every time you order, not just the first time. So you can use that for ongoing orders as well. And, um, yeah, shoot me a message, uh, a DM over on Instagram. If you've used their products, let me know what you are thinking, you know, how you're feeling about them. I'd love to hear your feedback. All right, guys, let's jump into the episode and chat with Dr. Sears all about vaccines. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. I'm excited to have Dr. Bob Sears 
Bob, Dr. Barb Sears, it's awesome. He's, he's been on my radar for a while. I wanted to have him on. And then recently my office manager actually was at a conference where he was and they started chatting and then she, she connected us. So I'm, I'm grateful to Becca. Thank you very much. So a little bit about my guest, Dr. Bob Sears is a pediatrician. He's the author of the vaccine book which is just recently updated. And he's also the co-host of the new podcast, The Vaccine Conversation with Melissa and Dr. Bob. So check that out. He is also co-factor of Immunity Education Group, which is a nonprofit organization that is dedicated to providing objective, informed consent for vaccination. And you can uh, learn more over at immunityeducationgroup.org. And Dr. Bob Sears' life's mission is to fight mandatory vaccination policies and to ensure that all parents worldwide receive objective, truthful, balanced, and undoctored information on vaccines and infectious disease. So I love it. We haven't done a, a show on this in a very long time. We had Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, I think, back like in 2012. So it's been many years since we've had this topic. And, um, you know, it's, I was telling him right, right before the interview, it's a little bit of a selfish topic because I'm now seven months pregnant. So this is something I'm obviously thinking about a lot more now. And I'm also in kind of a, a state where it's a little bit of a crazy political thing, you know, in California. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But Dr. Bob, thanks for coming on the show. Well, uh, thanks, Dr. Lowe. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's good to have you. So why the heck are you so into vaccines? How did this become a focus for you? <laughs> yeah, gosh. Yeah, I don't know if, um, yeah, I mean, going way back to into medical school, I mean, I had to make these decisions for my own kids. And um, and I actually didn't even really think about, you know, that this had to be a decision. I just sort of automatically vaccinated my kids, you know, when they were young and yeah. didn't didn't even really think about it. And then... Um, and then a, a friend who I met back in medical school had me, uh, he asked me to read a book. In fact, I needed a place to stay. So he gave me a room for a few months to stay in if I agreed to read a book about vaccines. <laughs> That's awesome. and, um, so that kind of got me down the, you know, down the path of, uh, of understanding that there's, uh, there's a lot you need to, to know about vaccines if you're going to really make an educated decision. Yeah. And how many, like, what percentage of doctors do you feel like know what needs to be known about vaccines? Oh, <laughs> um, you know what? Um, I mean, I'm a pediatrician, and you know, I don't like to speak poorly about other pediatricians, so I, I'll try not to. Um, you know, pediatricians are generalists, and yeah. we need to know we need to know a lot of we need to know just enough about a whole bunch of different topics in order to provide care for patients. Um, yeah. And we get trained. And in fact, I'll tell you, most of my training is spent learning a whole bunch of facts about very obscure problems that I'll probably never see. Right. Um, again, you know, outside of my training. And when it comes to learning just kind of the, the regular pediatric stuff, we don't get a lot of that in our training. That more comes from experience, from reading. So when it comes to vaccines, oh, yeah, we learn very little in a medical school or in our mm -hmm. training. We we learned very, very, very little. I feel like maybe there was a, one lecture about vaccines and maybe a lecture about the vaccine schedule. And because it be, because it's basically just an accepted automatic, everyone just needs to hundred percent do it. Yeah. So there's really not much to learn. You just, you know, there's the schedule, you do it. And, you know, there's really not a lot of uh, things you need to know about it, about the process. Yeah. Which I think I think does a huge disservice because, uh, you know, it does a, a big disservice to the consumer, to the families and the children, because there is t a ton of uh, information that you need to really know if you're really going to understand, you know, how to provide vaccines as a pediatrician and mm -hmm. what to watch for and how to give somebody informed consent. So, um, now, I what does that mean? What, is, yeah. what does informed consent mean to people who don't know what that is? You know what? Um, I, I had this discussion with, uh, um, with my, my podcasting partner uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was a very interesting question. Um, informed consent, it comes from two different angles. Number one, the, uh, the physician is, is trying to get, uh, give informed consent. You're giving the information in which you have to really share all the pros and cons of a medical treatment. Mm -hmm. There are some very, very key factors in, in real informed consent. You have to give the benefits, you have to give the risks, you have to give alternatives, and you also have to give the opportunity to say no to the treatment. Otherwise, it's not, you're not giving informed consent. Mm 
Mm -hmm. the, the, the patient has to have all these different options. So then that's sort of the doctor's job. And then the patient's job is to give informed consent by saying, yes, I now feel informed and I understand the process and I, I don't feel any pressure um, because a lot because informed consent also has to, to not have any coercion to it. Um, that's, that's actually mandated by, by various medical ethic organizations. No coercion. So then the patient says, okay, I consent, I understand it, and let's do it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's very complicated. And honestly, pediatricians just learn very, very little it, that, that you know, really goes down into the, the depths of informed consent and, and what it truly means to give it and to ask questions when someone has questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can I say so many times when, when my patients come to see me for various things. I mean, they'll say, "Oh, this doctor sent me, you know, I I did this treatment, I did this, it didn't work. I've never been the same since." You know, I hear this all the time, and it's like, never do they get proper informed consent because they if, if right. they had been told alternatives, they would have chosen them, or if they've been told the risks, they would have not done that. So. Yeah, so I yeah, love that you're, yeah, and, you're spreading this information. Yeah, and you know, informed consent is actually mandated by federal law. Right. Um, it, there's there's definitely a federal law that spells out how patients are supposed to be given informed consent, and the vaccine manufacturers in their products when they make vaccines, they they direct physicians to give informed consent. But you know, what's interesting is um, state most uh, states don't mandate informed consent. Um, you know, medical care is under the jurisdiction of states. Mm-hmm. And so the federal law has no, uh, no uh, authority. And so that's why doctors in most states are allowed to simply give vaccines um, without even providing informed consent because it's not mandated by their state. Gotcha. Yeah, so, so it's, not like, it's not like doctors are breaking state laws right. they're breaking medical practice by not giving informed consent, but they are breaking... Federal the spirit law. of the federal law that was initially put in place to try to safeguard patients. So this vaccination uh, from, schedule, who, who dictates this? Who makes this schedule anyway? What's well, the, it's the centers for disease control. Mm-hmm. There's a committee called the, um, it's the ACIP. Uh, what does that even stand for? <laughs> um, something, <laughs> I, I, maybe American committee of immunization practices. Um, I always just think of them as the ACIP. It is a committee that's, uh, that's um, uh, uh, part of the CDC, and they study vaccines, and they're made up of researchers and doctors and um, the pharmaceutical uh, manufacturers, you know, mm-hmm. sit on the committee. And, um, and they basically, yeah, they decide whether or not a vaccine should become part of our CDC schedule. Yeah. And, and do you feel like the process of creating a schedule is – a very clean process and it's a very accurate schedule or do you feel like it's, you know, it's, it's skewed in some way? Well, I, I feel like um, th- there's definitely some conflicts of interest yeah. in, in creating the vaccine schedule and the federal government launched two investigations into the ACIP and the, um, the CDC in general and the FDA and they found in, in both 2000 and in, again in 2007 that members of the ACIP or the FDA um, who are making vaccine decisions either held stock in the vaccine manufacturers, doctors who held stock in these companies, or they're doctors who have been hired to do work for vaccine manufacturers, right. or doctors who have received um, research grants, um, and there's rules set in place that if a doctor has a financial conflict of interest with a particular vaccine, that doctor is supposed to not participate in the vaccine's approval. And the, the investigation found that that was not the case. There were, there were many cases in which doctors were taking place in, mm-hmm. um, in the vaccine approval process. Uh, and yet no one's ever punished. You know, no, the government you know, makes these reports and finds these conflicts of interest, but no one ever gets in trouble over it. Right. It's like, good to know. They just, yeah, okay. they just encourage you to, okay, come on, ACIP, do a better job at, right. uh, at policing yourselves um, right. you know, with, with our conflicts of interest. So, no, you, um, I mean, we basically have gotten away from what was the original mission of vaccination in that, you know, you know when uh, 50, 100 years ago, we decided, hey, if there's a really terrible disease in our society, 
and we can maybe get rid of it. Um, and a vaccine might help us get rid of it along with clean water and good hygiene and sanitation and, and good medical care and good nutrition. All the factors help get rid of, that, of uh, infectious diseases. If a vaccine is going to help us with that, yeah, let's let's approve that vaccine for something really, really serious and dangerous, like right. smallpox or polio mm-hmm. or uh, tetanus. Um, thing, you know, maybe uh, you know, infant meningitis, you know, diseases that that can kill or maim people, and that's really the the original intention. But now, what happens, unfortunately, is is basically is if someone can make a vaccine for it. Then, then people will come and get it, and let, let's put it on the schedule. You know, they, right. They're not just putting things on the schedule that should be on the schedule. They're putting everything on the schedule that they can, even for harmless uh, everyday, you know, childhood diseases, or even for diseases children don't catch. Yeah. And then, you know, they put all these things on the schedule. And so, um, you know, you asked, you know, is it really kind of on the up and up? I would say it, it maybe started that way mm-hmm. many decades ago, but. We've really, really steered, uh, you know, changed directions on on deciding which vaccines should. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm not even. I don't even think they've ever even said no to you know to a vaccine that I can think of, right. um, where they said you know someone presented a vaccine, you know, and they said no, that's not a good idea. And maybe they have. If they have, we haven't heard about it. But yeah, so it's kind of like anything that you can vaccinate for. Let's let's go for it. Let's look into it. So, so it doesn't sound like you're anti-vaccines altogether, because you mentioned some really important, you know, some big, some big diseases that a vaccine could be very helpful for. So, so I'm just curious, just kind of your general view of vaccines as a whole. You know, how do you feel about them, and and if you feel like there are some that are important, which ones yeah. do you think they yeah. are? Yeah, um, I'll forget the second part of the question, so you have to remind yeah, me again I will. after <laughs> I talk for after I try to sum up my entire uh, vaccine uh, belief <laughs> right. and. In, in two minutes. Um, Good luck. Okay, so, yeah, so, I mean, I mean, um, you know, I give vaccines in my office. I'm a pediatrician. Um, most of my patients don't want vaccines any, you know, anymore. So I would say most of my patients don't get any vaccines, but some do. And so I, I do provide them to those who do. I, I've given some vaccines to my kids. Um, I, even recently, uh, a couple of my kids needed uh, a little bit of vaccination, either for work or for travel. And, and, you know, I, I provided those to my kids. So I, I provide vaccines when I think they're important, um, when I think they're going to serve a good purpose, and when I think that getting the vaccine is reasonably safe. Um, yeah. So I'm definitely not against uh, vaccines in any way. Um, I would say, um, um, I mean, I, you can ask me about maybe my unvaccinating families later, but um, I would say the one thing I am against is um, is uh, mandated vaccine policies. Any policy where, where vaccines are mandated for something unnecessarily, like school or uh, yeah. or in you know in some you know and uh, I, I worry they're going to start making vaccines mandatory just to simply be a parent of a child. Um, right. Um, but um, yeah, I'm against vaccine mandates, and so because they're trying to mandate vaccines in more and more states now, I find myself. Now, working more sort of on the side of what would appear to be the anti-vaccine side, because now I, I'm trying to fight mandates, so I have to explain to people all the negative parts of vaccination. Right. So they understand there's some some possible negative consequences, so they agree with me, well, gosh, we shouldn't mandate those because there's risk. So that's kind of why I appear to be against them. And, you know, you'll always see me, you know, uh, at events or, you know, talking to colleagues or working with people who are seem to be against vaccines, whereas I think all of us are really just kind of against against mandates. Um, it's a, to kind of wrap it up, I guess, in my general overall belief is I, I do feel like most vaccines work. They work in a variety of ways. Some work partially, some work, you know, better than others. But I do think they're, they, they work, they can serve a purpose, they're not useless. And so then I'll get tons of flack from people who are anti-vaccines. They think vaccines don't work at all. But I think they work. I think they're kind of safe in in most cases, but I feel like there definitely is risk. Mm-hmm. And then and I think the risk is way um underrepresented 
by by the medical community. I think there's more risk than people are, are, are understand, more risk than doctors are, are willing to talk about. So, yeah, they they help maybe there you know there's some risk. Um, I kind of would say I'm not pro vaccine and I'm not anti vaccine. I guess I'm just vaccine. I yeah. mean, if that's a thing, if You're you just can like vaccine selective. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I mean, if there's a way you can be neutral about something and mm-hmm. then just. Uh, present the facts and help people understand the, the risk versus benefits. Yeah. Um, I see kind of very similar. Right yeah. I, I actually have a very similar take on it. And um, I'm curious, what was, did you see? I, I would assume you saw the movie back and do you yes. have an opinion on that movie? Um, you know, I, I feel like all the data that they present in Vaxxed is, is accurate. It's mm-hmm. accurate data. Um, you know, the, the family stories they share and the people that they talk to where their kids have you know been uh, you know been injured by vaccines I mean those are real stories yeah. um, um, so I, I feel like yeah I mean it's I, I feel like the the movie accurately represents um, uh, the possible negative side of, of the vaccination process yeah um, I don't remember exactly what all was in the movie, but uh, no, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I, mean yeah. I know that I know the people who made the movie, and um, I feel like they you know what they portrayed was 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 accurate if one sided certainly mm-hmm. um, yeah, well, I feel you know I went to the opening of that, and uh, my boyfriend and I went, and I'm so glad he came with me, and you know we have a baby on the way now, so it's like mm-hmm. I just love that we both have a similar take on things so in California, where we both live, at this point, from how I understand it, it's required if you're going to have a kid in school that, to have all their vaccines before they go to school, right? Right. Yeah. It's about half of the schedule is required. Mm-hmm. So um, what's your take on that? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, obviously, I, I don't like it. I mean, um, what frustrates me is um, I feel like these laws are, um, are unethical, um, they discriminate against a, a class of people who have certain beliefs. Um, and discrimination is, is never turned out well in our country whenever we've tried it. I don't think it's ever turned out well anywhere. Um, um, and I, I feel, and honestly, uh, these mandatory vaccination laws, they're not even going to work. They're not going to, they're not going to reduce diseases in our, in our schools because most vaccines don't work by reducing diseases. Mm-hmm. Most vaccines just work by making you feel less sick when you do catch a disease, but you're still just as contagious and can still spread it to others, um, whether, you know, whether you're vaccinated or not. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it's unethical. It's unnecessary. I don't think it's going to work. Um, you know, I think the things that, that bug me is they've, they've, they're mandating diseases for school. They're mandating vaccines that don't even matter, like hepatitis B vaccine. Right. Is a sexually transmitted infection. So they're mandating it for all babies in daycare, everyone in preschool, you know, everyone in elementary school. I don't know what they think these kids are doing in school, right. but, um, you know, uh, that's going to put them at risk of hepatitis B. But um, what's funny is they don't mandate hepatitis B vaccine in California. Once you go to seventh grade, <laughs> the mandate ends, which is um, so ironic, but it kind of makes sense. If a government's going to make a law, it's just certainly not going to always be based on common sense. Um, yeah. Um, so that's one vaccine I think is completely unnecessary to mandate. And then we know, of course, tetanus is not contagious. Um, we know uh, diphtheria is, uh, we don't even have diphtheria in the United States, but um, diphtheria vaccine does not prevent you from from catching diphtheria and spreading it to others, you just feel less sick. And the same is actually true for whooping cough vaccine. And it's actually also true for polio vaccine. Um, you know, hepatitis B is unnecessary. Diphtheria, tennis, whooping cough, and polio vaccines. These vaccines simply give you yourself as an individual protection from having a severe case of the disease. Mm-hmm. But if you catch diphtheria or whooping cough or polio, the germs are still going to enter your body and replicate, and, and you're still going to feel partially sick. You're going to spread the germs to other people and be contagious to other people. You're just not going to have complications of the disease. Gotcha. But, but so 
why are we mandating vaccines that don't prevent the spread of the disease? Because we're, we're, they're trying to say the reason to mandate these is so that they don't spread around schools. Right. Yet the, and we told all the legislators this during the hearing, you know, why are you mandating these things that don't matter for, you know, for disease spread? They just stare at us like we have two heads, you know, you know, because honestly, in the general, um, in the general, you know, lay people terms, people have this misconception that every single vaccine 100% protects you in every possible way. Like it's some sort of, some sort of, you know, it's some, it's like magical. You, know, you get a vaccine, you, the disease will bounce right off you. You won't even ever enter you and cause you any harm. And most vaccines don't work that way. Yeah. So therefore there's not a lot of reason to mandate things that, that don't work that way yet. Again, you know, vaccines are so incredibly important the way they look at them that they should be just mandated for everybody yeah. without considering risk. So there's a lot of things that bug me about this um, mandatory vaccine law, and that's uh, just, just one of them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm leaning towards homeschooling because I just I want to have the, the, the freedom to be able to choose what I want to vaccinate my son for if, you know, if we choose to vaccinate him for anything at all, but I'm not, like right. I said, I'm not anti-vaccines. I do believe in waiting a couple years to do vaccinations for his immune system to fully form and, um, you know, and then, and then decide from there. So, so let's say, and you said you have kids. How many kids do you have? How old are they? I have uh, three. Yeah. Okay. They're grown up. They're at 26, 23 and almost 17. Okay. Wow. When I first saw you in the video, I was like, he's so young. It's crazy. You have kids that old. Um, yeah. so let's say you were to pop out a new baby. Well, your partner would, um, what, what would you at this point do in terms of vaccinations? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. And, and she's not, so it's a very hypothetical, <laughs> hypothetical. Yeah. 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 I guess, I guess the, I mean, the, the better way to pose the question, I guess, is what am I, what am I going to advise my kids when they have kids? You know, what am I going to advise right. to my grandchildren? Um, and um, I would say, I, I mean, of course, it's complicated. So it's not like I, I can just say, you know, what exactly what I'm going to tell them. Um, I would say, um, I mean, there's, a, there's this very ironic observation that those of us that work in the natural medical community have, have observed. Um, you know, those of us like, like myself who have the privilege to, to take care of, of a large group of unvaccinated families. And because um, they all come to me, you know, they get kicked out of their doctor's offices. So they all come to me for care. So I, I get to see what, you know, what happens with all these uh, susceptible unvaccinated kids and, you know, do they turn out okay? Um, well, and so that's kind of what I, what I would present to, to my, my grandchildren's, you know, decision is what's going to be the healthier decision for you long-term, you know, is it to choose some vaccines? Is it to choose all vaccines or is it to choose no vaccines? Or is it to delay vaccines until your kid's older? You know, what's, what's the, the healthiest decision? And the best data we have on that, if we're going to make this decision based on science and data, um, there's, there's almost no research that compares, uh, that answers this question. You know, there's, they've never done research that shows vaccinated children end up healthier. Mm-hmm. The only thing they know from long-term research on vaccinated children is that they turn out vaccinated. Um, and maybe they are less likely to catch these infectious diseases. Uh, but the bigger question is, are they actually healthier 20 years from now, 50 years from now? And the research we do have on this topic actually shows the opposite. There's been some research that has looked at um, uh, vaccinated children versus unvaccinated children. Only a little bit of research. It's a very, very small group of studies. And these studies all come to the same conclusion. The unvaccinated kids are healthier in the long run than the partially vaccinated ones and the fully vaccinated ones. They have way less allergies, way less asthma, way less learning disorders. Um, and um, just to name a few, uh, they have uh, way fewer uh, ear infections, fewer cases of pneumonia. 
and they're controlling compare, just to start real quick they're controlling for factors because those parents are probably more maybe holistic and doing better nutrition and all that they're kind of, well, well, of that factor. well you know what the 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 best study that anyone's done um in the, in the United States controlled for some of those factors because they, they were all homeschoolers. Mm-hmm. So they, they examined a bunch of homeschooler families, some who vaccinate, some who don't. Gotcha. And that's how they came to those conclusions. Yeah. Um, and then they did some of this research in Europe as well. And they found, um, and they found the unvaccinated kids have uh, like uh, by many, many factors, not just twice as healthy, but, but in some cases, five times, you know, uh, uh, improved uh, outcomes or, or 10 times, even I think the allergy factor was you're, you're 30 times more likely to suffer from allergies if you're vaccinated than if you're not. Um, so there, there, I mean, there's, there's basically a cost. Now, um, so, that, so I'm not saying we know it's healthier if you don't vaccinate. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't vaccinate. I'm saying based on the little bit of research we have so far, the research only shows, it doesn't show the opposite. It so far only shows that the unvaccinated kids have a fewer of a whole variety of chronic medical problems. Mm-hmm. So then I think it's kind of um, up to the, the greater medical community to uh, investigate this and, and try to figure out, you know, why do these small studies show this fact and what would larger studies show? Yeah, and that's what I think everyone really wants to know. They really want to know, you know, what are things like fifty years later for people who vaccinate compared to those who don't vaccinate? We don't know yet. So I don't know. I guess you know, how do I put these? How do I put this to my grandchildren? Who knows? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to make sure they understand the risks and uh, and you know understand the the benefits they would get from vaccinating, and you know, no, just kind of walk them through it. Yeah, we'll see. So, so for the ones, um, you know, let's say there's parents who are like, you know, we want to, we want to just do like the bare minimum, but the ones that, you know, are like the most important, would there be like a few that you think are, <clears throat> you know, worth really looking into? Yeah, I think, um, um, I would say the, the ones I've always prioritized would be the diseases that do have some uh, potential risk of creating a really serious case or a fatal case mm-hmm. in uh, young children. And what are those diseases? I mean, it's basically um, infant meningitis diseases are really the the main thing that, that can be a very, very serious disease if, you know, if you catch it. And it is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, it is around um, mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, infant meningitis. I mean, no one wants their baby to catch meningitis. Um, Fortunately, um, there's two forms of infant meningitis we vaccinate against. One of those forms, there's about um, 10 cases in our whole country every year. Mm-hmm. And the other form, there's maybe a few hundred cases in our whole country every year. So both of those forms of infant meningitis are pretty rare. Yeah. If you think of our whole country, 10 cases of HIB, HIB meningitis, and a few hundred cases of pneumococcal meningitis the odds are your baby's not going to be one of those uh, one of those cases. Um, but if something you know bad were to happen and your baby could catch one of those, that's sort of you know could be potentially bad news. Um, right. Those diseases are about uh, ten to twenty percent fatal. Mm-hmm. Um, so the meningitis, I think, are something to to consider. Um, um, you know, there, I mean, there are a lot of diseases that can be fatal but are fortunately so incredibly rare, like tetanus is extremely rare. Yeah. Polio, we don't have polio um, anymore. You know, hepatitis B, you know, can be fatal for babies and young children. <clears throat> Thank God babies and young children don't catch hepatitis B. Um, right. So, I mean, there are, fortunately, in, in fact, the way I like to say this is um, um, all the really super serious, terrible diseases that are highly fatal are virtually non-existent. Mm-hmm. And all the diseases that are common are fortunately um, almost never serious. Right. Almost never fatal. It's a good way to put it, the, yeah. Yeah, so there's really no disease that is both common and highly fatal. So so we're fortunate. So I, so I think a lot of families, you know, they tell me, 
they don't want to vaccinate. And they ask me, is that a dangerous decision? Am I putting my baby at a huge risk? Am I putting it, you know, others around us at risk? And for the most part, statistically, I mean, I, I tell them, you know, the, the risk of dying from an infectious disease is not zero, but it is pretty darn low. It's a very, very, very low risk that your unvaccinated baby is going to die from one of these diseases you could have vaccinated against. Fortunately, it's very, very low risk. Mm-hmm. Again, but but it's not zero risk, so you have to you have to feel comfortable with that risk if you're not going to vaccinate. Yeah, uh, that's kind of these are, these are sort of the, the concepts and ideas I try to help my patients understand. I have a face or an Instagram question from Kelsey. Mm-hmm. Send your way. So. Let's see. Let me pull it up real quick. Um, she said, is the Washington state's recent state of emergency due to measles and overreaction? So what's your take on the measles thing? Yeah, you know, it, it, yeah, certainly I think calling it a state of emergency is an overreaction. Um, measles is a, is a very harmless disease for almost everybody who catches it. Um, uh, sadly, it will it will be fatal for about one out of every ten thousand cases. So yeah, if we have if we have you know thirty, forty, fifty thousand cases in our country, we might have a few fatalities. So, but when you have an outbreak of maybe you know twenty cases in a community, the chance that you know that one of those twenty are going to suffer that one in ten thousand risk of fatality is extremely low. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but you do have to work together. I mean, everyone who's who's exposed to measles has to be quarantined. Um, you have to consider vaccinating if you have not vaccinated. You have to. You can get you know high doses of vitamin A to help uh, reduce the complications of measles. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do to work together. But does that have to be a state of emergency? No, it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so what about situations like maybe someone who's, you know, HIV positive or maybe someone who's elderly living in a, you know, um, advanced care kind of facility, do you think they may want to consider being vaccinated? Um, you mean like against measles? Yeah. Maybe measles or yeah. Or just in general. Um, or even like the flu shot. Yeah. You know, I, I will say that I, I'm not, I don't know a lot about HIV disease. You know, we don't see it much in pediatrics unless you're, you're working in a hospital and I don't see much of it. I, I don't, I don't provide care for the elderly. Um, yeah. But I, but I think this decision, you know, there's going to be a, you have to give informed consent no matter what age you are. There's always going to be pros and cons to, um, to vaccine no matter how old. Sure. And and is there is there a healthier version of a measles vaccine, or is it do you have to get it like in the MMR? Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of what's unfortunate is um, they only make it as the MMR. They stopped making it separately as measles, mumps, rubella separately. They stopped making it about ten years ago. And what's unfortunate is um, the the different components of the vaccine each has has different risks. There's certain side effects you can have from the measles part of it certain side effects from the rubella part, the mumps part of the vaccine doesn't work very well. So I feel like a lot of people would get a plain measles vaccine because they feel more comfortable with that. Or someone who needs a rubella vaccine might get a plain rubella shot. Um, but a lot of people who, who research vaccines are not comfortable doing the triple MMR vaccine altogether. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are saying no to a vaccine who otherwise might say yes if they right. were given the options. You know, only one company makes the MMR vaccine in our country, and that same company used to make them all separately as well. Hmm. But then they were saying they were not getting enough demand for the separate products. I don't know about that. And so, the, yes, I know. I, that, that's what they said. Just charge said, more. I mean, make it worth yeah. their while. I know, yeah. I know. Because, yeah, honestly, a lot of people would uh, would get would get a single single version of the vaccine. That's how I used to give it in my office. Yeah. Are they available and, in other countries? Um, yes, they are. Okay. I don't know which ones, but um, yeah. some countries have them separately. Mm-hmm. Now, um, which which ones still have mercury in them? Only the flu shots. Okay. Yeah, about how they, they took mercury out. Um, uh, well, let, let, me, let me go back. In, in 1991, they realized mercury was, was being way, way overdosed. Um, 
They kept it quiet until 1998 when someone leaked it. So then by 2002, the government had had mandated that mercury gets removed from all vaccines except the flu shots. So it used to be in about half of our childhood vaccines. So now it's only in, in the flu shots. It's in about half the flu shots. Wow. And flu shots yeah. are being just pushed like just like a vitamin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so I think um you know the flu shot is uh they make single dose vials that don't have any mercury because it doesn't need to be a preserved because it's a single dose. But the large bottles that have 10 doses of the flu shot, those are the ones that have mercury. Yeah. And um, they, you know, they can give them to pregnant women. They can give them to babies uh, that's that crazy. have mercury. And so, yeah, you really have to, to watch out for that. I literally just finished recording an episode for my um, Golden Eggs Fertility course on environmental toxins and how it affects, you know, fetal brain development and you know, mercury just kept coming up and it's like, that's so infuriating that a pregnant woman would be taking a flu shot with mercury in it. I know you, you won't even take Tylenol without cringing and calling your doctor to make sure right. it's okay. But right. Hey, give me some mercury because yeah. you know, people said it's safe. It, it's so funny. It's there's, there's so many toxic chemicals in vaccines like formaldehyde and aluminum and, um, uh, you know, uh, human DNA and, um, other strange viral contaminants and mercury, but there's this there's this weird um, acceptance in our society where if it's in a vaccine, it's okay because you know they, being the people upstairs somewhere that live above you, have proven it's okay be- simply because it's in a vaccine. Right. Yeah, we're not going to go around and you know get, you know exposing people to just plain old mercury because mercury by itself is is incredibly dangerous mixed in a vaccine is somehow magically now safe. And, uh, and people, people honestly think of it that way. Yeah. And, and unfortunately the people who are promoting these oftentimes have a, have a, you know, financial, uh, interest. So. Oh, what are you trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. I know. I know. So, so if let's say someone listening to like, I, I know I want to do a flu shot. I've just, I've just decided that's what works for me. Do the single dose. Don't do the large bottle. At least you're not going to get the, the mercury in it, but, but right, really do right. they even work? Do the, does the flu shot even work? Right. Um, you know, on, on a, on a bad year, it works by about 10% and on a good year it works maybe 60%. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you have to understand what does it mean by it works the way they, they, um, the way they, measure working is that you don't get sick enough to go see a doctor. It, gotcha. They don't mean it works by, by the fact that it actually present, prevented you from getting the flu. Mm-hmm. It, means, it means it works by, yeah, you'll still catch the flu, but you're not going to feel as sick. Wow. And, you know, and so that's interesting about, you know, when you look at flu mandates where they mandate flu vaccines for, you know, all hospital workers and daycare workers and mandate, you know, flu vaccine for a lot of places, it doesn't stop you from catching the flu and being contagious to others. Right. It just makes you feel less sick. Yeah. So you're, 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 you know, in fact, you might even be more contagious because you're going to work now because you don't feel that sick. Now you're <laughs> spreading the flu to everyone else. Whereas if you didn't get the shot and you, you know, were, you know, had to go to bed for two days, you're not, you know, around spreading the flu at work now. Right. So, wow. I mean, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of ways to look at the flu vaccine, and um, but we do know it does not prevent people from catching it and spreading it because mm-hmm. the technology just doesn't work that way. Yeah. What about your take on the on Gardasil vaccine? Oh wow, yeah, that's um, you know, um, I feel like there definitely are have been a very high number of severe reported reactions to right. Gardasil. And knowing that Gardasil, knowing that HPV disease is 100% preventable by making smart choices, yeah. you do have control. You do have a say, um, you know, in, in what you do and how you do it. And, um, if you're going to do things safely, you might decide that, uh, you know, that it's not worth getting the, the possible severe side effects from this vaccine because, again, this is a disease you can control. Right. And the other thing too, is that just because a person has HPV, the chance of them actually getting cervical cancer is incredibly low, but it's like, oh, yeah. cervical cancer, almost always you have had HPV. So it's a very, that's very different. 
Right. You know? And yeah, and most people who catch HPV uh, sexually will clear it out from their body within two years. Right. Most people. So it's not like you catch it and you're stuck with it the rest of your life. Most people, your immune system fights it off after mm-hmm. a couple of years and you become, you know, HPV negative again. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's not like it's, it's a, you know, a death sentence for everyone who, you know, who catches HPV. A lot of people, it clears out. And, you know, and what kind of bugs me about this vaccine is they never proved that it prevents cancer before they released it to the public. Wow. They only proved it reduces your chance of acquiring HPV sexually, mm-hmm. but they didn't take it a step further and then figure out what happens to that HIV, you know, HPV in vaccinated people compared to unvaccinated people. What then happens after that? Mm-hmm. They did not prove uh, better outcomes or long-term outcomes or cancer prevention before they released it. Yeah. And they haven't, they haven't proved it yet even now. Uh, 12 years after they've released it. Wow. That's a long time. They could have been yeah. doing that research. So yeah. how, how, how long does it take from, Hey, we should make a vaccine to it's released now and people are vaccinating. Like what's that process look like? Well, how much money do you have? Right. Um, <laughs> Let's say you, you, endless money. <laughs> well, cause you can pay for fast tracking, you know, um, uh, you can pay the FDA to, to speed your product through, uh, through the, in quotes, you can't see my air quotes, but I'm doing air quotes right now, the safety testing. Um, um, you know, the, the process, I mean, it, it varies hugely. I mean, it probably takes several years at least to even develop a vaccine before it's even ready to be tested. Mm-hmm. Probably several years and, you know, billions of dollars. Um, and then um, but once you have it ready to present to the FDA, um, using Gardasil uh, or the HPV vaccine as an example, they planned a three-year safety testing with the FDA before they were going to release it. God. After 15 months, the the company paid the FDA to fast-track it and approve it after just 15 months instead of the original three years of safety testing. And um, so, yeah, once you have it produced... Um, it, it can be a pretty short time before it's approved and comes to market. See, three years isn't even long enough to really know if something's safe, right? Right? Because right. If, if a exactly. girl, let's say a girl or a guy gets this vaccine, maybe when they're 12 or something, I mean, it could take years and years before we really see what happens. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, the system you know, has its flaws, I would say. And um, I think more and more people are coming to realize that. And so that's why more and more people are coming to question vaccines. Yeah. So um, I know that, so sometimes they use a, like an egg protein, right? Like egg white protein in the, the, the shots, right? In the flu, in the flu vaccine. The flu vaccine. Is it only yeah. flu vaccine really that, that uses that? Yeah, they use it in the flu and they use it in MMR. Okay. Vaccine. And any, yeah. any things that you're seeing with that that can show up later for people as problems? Well, yeah, if you're, aller- if you're allergic to eggs and you don't know it, you can die if you get a, a flu shot or have a bad allergic reaction from the MMR vaccine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're giving flu shots to six-month-old babies before they even had eggs to eat, so we don't even know if they're allergic to eggs yet. Right. And we're giving, you know, MMR vaccines to one-year-old babies who may or may not have eaten eggs yet. So that's why a lot of surprising allergic reactions occur, especially to the flu shot, is because of unknown egg allergy. Um, Some people hypothesize because you're injecting egg in a very unnatural way into the body, you might actually be triggering the the development of an egg allergy and other food allergies. I don't know if that's true yet. I don't think people have studied that well enough to really know if it's true, Mm -hmm. but that's kind of the theory. Mm -hmm. What about, I know that they talked about this quite a bit in the movie Vaxxed, um, I'm sure you get this question a gazillion times, but autism, what connections of anything do we know or are potential connections? Yeah, well, the, you know, the, the politically correct answer is basically um, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, all that they've studied is they've studied to figure out if mercury in vaccines contributed to autism. And all the doctors, you know, that got together and then did, you know, pharma-funded safety research concluded, no, mercury in vaccines, there is no evidence that it contributed to autism. 
And then they also picked one vaccine out of the 12 that we give, one vaccine to study. They studied the MMR vaccine. And they tried to see if there was a relationship between MMR vaccine and autism. And again, the answer from you know everyone who did the did the studies, largely funded by the pharmaceutical companies, the answer again was no. So if, if you if you look at all the mainstream research, you can scientifically say there does not seem to be a correlation between mercury in vaccines or MMR in vaccines. They have not studied any other vaccines singly. And they have not studied the entire vaccine schedule. Mm-hmm. So in no scientific terms whatsoever can you make any sort of judgments about vaccines and autism and whether it does or does not contribute to autism as far as the schedule as a whole or any other individual vaccines besides the MMR. You can't mm-hmm. because they haven't done the, the, the research. Now, um, the other thing you can't do through science is you can't prove a negative so you can't prove that vaccines don't cause autism. Right. It's impossible. You can prove that they do cause autism, but you can't prove they don't. And you can approve like, that there may or may not be an association with autism, but again, you can't prove that they don't. But what do you hear in the media all the time? Science has proven that vaccines don't cause autism. Right. And and why did he, why do you hear that? Because it takes way too much time to explain what I just said. <laughs> and it's and and if you explain what I just said and the public finds out, well, why have they only studied mercury and why have they only studied MMR? Why don't they study the entire vaccine schedule so we know if, if there's an association with autism? And and now you're telling me you can't even prove it, it can't cause autism. Now you're scaring me. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the consumers are going to get scared if they feel, if they understand how the vaccines and autism research has been done. So no one presents it accurately that way. They just make it easy on you and say, don't worry, we've proven vaccines don't cause autism. Yeah. And yeah. You, you so so, so we basically don't know is the answer. Mm-hmm. We don't know yet. Yeah. So um, let's say... You know, I always like to, even though I'm, I obviously see things a lot more like you do. I know some people listening, they may be, you know, where they want to do all the vaccines or whatever. So, um, is there a certain amount of time to wait before it would be good to incorporate or bring these in? You know, that's a great question. And then we just don't know. Yeah. Um, the drawback of the safety research is the, um, the, the CDC schedule, um, has never been tested for long-term safety. Right. So we don't know if the basic schedule is safe long-term. You know, we know what the we know what the short-term side effects can be, but there's no long-term safety data, so we don't know. Mm-hmm. So then, what we also don't know is how long is it safe to wait. We don't know if it's healthier to start vaccinating at two years instead of two months, or is it going to be you know safer to wait till your kid is five years old? Um, we don't know. Um, Theoretically, maybe it's safer to wait and start later, but but we just don't know because there's been a, a huge lack of, uh, of research on on studying all those options. Yeah, it's a very unknown factor right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it's I think um, because that because really, who's going to fund all this stuff, right? That's the other thing. It's like people who are funding a lot of these different studies may have a vested interest in in vaccines, you know, being really popular. So. Uh, yeah. right. So, but, but I think kind of taking a step back and understanding the physiology of a child, it's, it's not fully developed right out of the womb. It takes a while, it takes a while for the gut cells to actually link up and, and be, you know, fully tight. So, I mean, that's your immune system. 80% of your immune system is your gut health. So, you know, it's right. like, if you understand the body further and, and know kind of how it works, you can make your own decision, like, like an informed choice. So, right. Uh, right. Yeah, and our immune systems are so complex, and um, I kind of um, it kind of bugs me that the, um, the the scientific community that studies vaccines they have this this sense that they know everything they need to know already about vaccines and the immune system, mm-hmm. and our immune system is so complex. We you know we honestly probably know about five percent of exactly what those vaccines are doing with our immune system mm-hmm. because it's just so complex and there are so many factors involved in our immune system that that no one can even begin to claim that we've figured out everything we need to know about 
about um, vaccines in our immune system and what do they do, how do they work, um, what are all the you know unintended consequences. We just don't know. Yeah. And then we really do need to know that. And I, you know, uh, that's, that would that's sort of one step in trying to figure out how to make vaccines safer is, is let's get a better understanding of exactly what they're doing um, instead of just assuming we inject them and all they do is give us antibodies that will protect us from that disease. Because right. we know for sure that that's not all they do. Totally. All right. My last question for you is, if, if families are choosing or parents are choosing not to vaccinate, what are some general immune boosting kind of tips, things that you recommend to your patients that they can help, you know, prevent things from, from being, yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, exactly. Um, I think you want to live a very organic, natural lifestyle. I think you want to become familiar with, um, you know, naturopathic remedies, maybe homeopathic remedies, um, um, you want to uh, let your kids spend a lot of time outdoors because, you know, kids who are outside a lot have much healthier immune systems. Um, you might want to, uh, I mean, we want kids to be around other kids and to play together, but you might limit the, the real germ factories like the health club nurseries and mm-hmm. the, you know, the church nurseries and um, any sort of really large, uh, you know, childcare situations while kids are young. Um, yeah, we, we want to exercise our kids' immune systems with a few colds here and there. Um, you don't really want to overload them. Um, so I think you want to make you know, wise choices about you know, where you take your kids. You absolutely, absolutely do not have to sit sheltered indoors and then be afraid to go out. Because mm-hmm. um, I think, yeah, I think the, uh, you know, the opposite is true. You really want to build a healthy immune system by being outdoors, enjoying let your kid play in the dirt. Even, you know, let your kid eat dirt. Yeah, it's good for you. Um, and, um, and Love it. so, I mean, what else? I mean, um, what about pets? Guess, being around pets? Is that? Kind yeah, of yeah. Yeah. Being yeah. around pets helps uh, create a little bit of a healthier immune system as well. Now you mentioned vitamin A. Are there any other remedies you like, like maybe around cold or flu season? You know, I like, um, I like, um, echinacea. I like vitamin C. I like, um, uh, elderberry for flu. Yeah. Um, I think vitamin A though is probably the, the best researched, um, mm-hmm. uh, treatment that we know can definitely prevent the complications of measles. So if you are around a measles outbreak, you definitely want to, you can just look up online the world health organization recommendations on vitamin A dosing specifically for measles. Awesome. Um, <clears throat> I don't know what else you have low sugar. Don't overload on sugar. Try to right. eat, you know, natural, you know, homemade sugary things instead of uh, store-bought sugary treats. Yeah, even better than just loading up on a bunch of orange juice that's going to be high in sugar. So getting the whole fruit and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Awesome, Doc. Well, gosh, I have just drilled you with so many questions. I've definitely kept you longer than I expected. So thank you for your generosity with your time and, and just sharing sure. this information. It is so important, especially in, in our home state. So, um, well, sure. I'm, I'm yeah. very happy to. Yeah. Yeah. The, so um, you, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. I was just, just going to say, you know, you guys definitely check out immunityeducationgroup.org so you can further learn about this. Obviously, there's, there's not a very clear answer on certain things. Like it's just about learning the information and making the decision for yourself. What's going to work for yourself and for your family. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, I love talking about this, obviously, and hopefully you can tell, and I can talk all day <laughs> and, um, and I kind of do, uh, in my office, I spend all day, but, but I also, I discovered like you did, I discovered podcasting. Um, I found that I love to talk about vaccines. It, it energizes me. It, you know, I find it very fascinating. And so I found a, a, a co-host that likes to talk even more than I do. <laughs> Perfect. And she's smarter than I am. I'd say if I bet if we did IQ tests, you know, there'd be no comparison. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, so she, we, we have a great time. We have a lot of fun. Kind of like, like you and I just did going yeah. back and forth talking and, uh, um, asking each other questions, chatting about vaccines, you know, for an hour. And each episode uh, on our conversation is is just about like one little aspect about vaccines. Like, like you would ask me a question, right? And I gave you, you know, an answer for a minute or two. 
we'd give like the hour long answers about that question. Right. And we break it down and we really get to the in depth on the science and the, you know, I'll, I'll, actually we do not get too in depth on the science because sometimes that's boring. So we, it's more conversational. Yeah. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. Hey, I, you know, all of us need to be learning more about this. So I encourage all of you guys to definitely check out more and educate yourselves and, you know, think outside the box. Don't just assume something that's on the news and that's, that's what the deal is. And I, I know for you guys listening, obviously I'm preaching to the choir cause you're all out of the box thinkers. So um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Bob, thank you so much for joining me. And you guys definitely get his book, The Vaccine Book, and check out his podcast, The Vaccine Conversations with Melissa and Dr. Bob. So thank you. Enjoy your evening. All right. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Lowe Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love and I'll talk to you soon.